pop culture, social trends, and of course, politics. It's time for another episode of And Another Thing with Jody Jenkins and Tony Clement. This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. It's going to go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. May I retention, please? In a moment, the beat will be played in many parts. Welcome back to another episode of And Another Thing. Welcome, everybody. The podcast that is absolutely sweeping the nation. My name is Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement. And we are so happy to be welcoming a great guest. And I'm going to get yeah. to that guest in a second. But, Tony, I just wanted to mention, you are wearing a very old, tragically hip, <laughs> Long sleeve shirt. Long let, sleeve. Let alone that it's an old, tragically hip shirt. I know. It's a long sleeve. You don't see those very often. No, you don't see those. And it's got uh, it's got a, a gargoyle on it. Yes. Which I don't think, the, tragically hip used it for one run of one sweatshirt. And that was about it. I was going to say, because I've never even seen that on an album. No, no. And what's it, on the sleeves? It says hip. Hip. And just the one sleeve? Just the one sleeve okay. with, with a couple of griffins okay like it's all this weird stuff that this is from 19 this is a shirt from 1987 yes i'm wearing a shirt from 1987 okay so that would have been like up to here or like yeah around that, that time, around, yeah, that time. Around, around that time and uh they were at the time what part of their management team was a guy named alan Gregg, who was known as a pollster he was the founder of a company called Decima Research Company, which was the party pollster for the Conservative Party back in the 80s. And I worked for a summer uh, at his polling company as a summer job in between uh, classes and so on. And so I got to know Alan Gregg very well. And that's how I got to know the Tragically Hip back, way back in that So time. then the question needs to be asked, did you buy that shirt or did he give it to you? I think actually it was given to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that you wouldn't buy a tragically hip shirt, but looking at that, not no, looking look, at it, yeah, not <laughs> one of their best pieces of work, I would say. Uh, no, but uh, it's it still fits, man. It almost. Does. That's impressive. That's <laughs> impressive. Okay, so okay. we have uh, a great guest uh, ready to rock and roll. Uh, good friend of the program, his first time on the show, uh, but certainly no stranger to us, and certainly no stranger to our subscribers. And I'm going to let you introduce him because you have more history with him. Uh, well, uh, thank you. I would love to introduce the yeah. Honorable Chris Alexander. Woohoo! Thank you, Chris, for being on the program. He served Thanks as, for having me, Tony. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. Former diplomat, former Canadian politician. He served as Minister of Citizenship and Immigration from 2013 to 2015. He represented the riding of Ajax Pickering. Uh, from 2011 to 2015, and uh, so has uh, written a, a book or two uh, about the experiences in Afghanistan. So I, I think that there's a lot to talk about here. Chris, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, and thanks for doing this, you guys. Yeah, I want to tell a quick story about, I think, the first time I ever met you, Chris. You might not remember this because it's going back, and you maybe you do remember this, but uh, it was like 2011-ish. I was on city council in Belleville. This was before I even looked at running federally. You were the minister of, or some, you were involved somehow, and you'll, I'm sure you'll refresh my memory, but you were at CFB Trent, and they were dedicating a building there. Do you recall that yeah, at all? I was the parliamentary secretary for national defense, so Peter McKay's understudy, yes. and we're dedicating that monument. Yes, so you do remember that. And I, I just, I, I, I was sitting right behind you, and you were very 
kind to me, and uh, that's where we had our first interaction. I Obviously, I don't expect you to remember that, but do you recall the shirt I was wearing? I don't. <laughs> I just kidding. I, don't recall. I, just I bet kidding. it wasn't that same. <laughs> it was not the shirt. <laughs> but I should also mention that uh, Chris's grandfather was mayor of Huntsville, and of course I knew that as a former member of parliament for Muskoka, so Don Locke is a very uh, well-regarded uh, uh, person. He's passed away now, but uh, Chris has that connection to Muskoka the, as well. The real politician in my family, and I was up there last um, Sunday in your old riding, oh, so you'll be happy to hear, um, with my father and my kids meeting an uncle of mine who actually lives up there year-round, near Magnetowan, and we were watching the drag on the mag. Yeah, that's right, with the, with the snowmobile race. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's a big time. I've been, I've been there for that. It's a noisy, fun event for the uh, for February Blahs. Yeah, exactly. And my kids love loved seeing three-year-olds racing skidoos. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. At, at un- unbelievable speeds. Exactly. No, that, that's good old uh, Ontario wintertime activity, so uh, I'm glad you got to enjoy that Yeah, and that unfortunately this winter you have to go pretty far north to find enough snow to have a good... Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, we got a lot of good snow this year, and uh, we always uh, welcome uh, snowmobilers. I like to snowshoe myself in the winter time. You gotta, have, you gotta map out some winter activities. You can't just sort of hunker down and you know pray for winter to be gone. You got actually got to get out there. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, this is good Canadian talk here. Absolutely. And Chris Alexander's our guest, and just staying on the theme of snow, one of the things we try and do here on and another thing is we pride ourselves on never putting people in a tough position. So talking about the weather, uh, Chris, is climate change real? <laughs> of course it is. Um, look, look out the window and you'll see oddities all the time. I think the issue that's coming back is this, um, is this larger debate and larger challenge that um, Canadians have never lost sight of, 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 protecting wilderness in the planet. You know, we, we have this incredible forest, very sound Muskoka, and hundreds of ridings across the country, every province in one way or another. We have species that live uh, truly in ecosystems that are independent of human beings. That is a rarity, you know, outside of a few places in Africa and Brazil uh, and less and less Russia and Europe. Um, we've got something that needs to be protected and that is bound up with clean water and clean air and a balanced um, cycle of temperatures and all of these things on the planet. We got to have that broader discussion, not just focus on, uh, you know, what, what one group of scientists says and what another group of scientists says about, about the temperature. Yeah. It's a broader, you know, you're talking about uh, biodiversity and uh, all the other things that go along with that. And, and I've, I've, I've noticed like when, especially Europeans who come to Canada to visit like Germans or French or whatever, uh, they, they, they just can't get over the wildness of Canada. We take it for granted, but their you know, their forests are manicured forests and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the original wildlife is long gone, hunted to extinction, you know, when they're part of the world. Exactly. So, so to exactly. come to and, Canada, and as, you as know. we start to lose species and ecosystems in the oceans and far too many parts of the world, really, including the United States, loses its, its last intact wilderness, uh, the value of ours goes up. We've got we to gotta 
be alive to how unique this is and and what and how central it is to what Canada is and to our identity. I think a lot of Canadians were really bound up with the the wildfires in Australia too. I mean, we've got a bit yeah. of a kinship to Australia for a lot of reasons. Uh, and uh, when we, you know, uh, it was obviously human life that was affected, but also all the, like a billion wildlife were extinguished along with uh, those wildfires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and these ecosystems that won't come back quickly. And, and just, I know this wasn't what you wanted to ask about, but on uh, climate change, is it real? Of course it's real, but we've been having a really sterile discussion about this. You know, we embraced the Paris goals. Uh, under our government, Tony, we... we uh, made some progress modestly reducing greenhouse emissions. Under this government, despite all the rhetoric, uh, there hasn't been any progress. If anything, is, is the carbon tax a, a moderate increase in emissions? Yeah. So is, is, is the carbon let, tax actually going to between action and rhetoric here? Is let's, the carbon tax going to real results? Is the carbon tax going to actually reduce emissions? I mean, absolutely not. I, I mean, it, it, it could displace some industries, as we're seeing, from Canada to other countries. But that, as we know, does nothing for the planet. Uh, and, and it, you know, if, if we were to implement all of the reductions we've committed to overnight, that would have been erased as a result for the planet by the increase we saw in China just last year. Right. So we have to have uh, a more serious discussion globally about rewards and punishments for bad behavior. Hey, I got to ask, when you were in Afghanistan as Canada's ambassador to Afghanistan, did, did you take a look at their ecosystem and their climate and what, what yeah, was it like? And in fact, I did some walking um, against the advice of <laughs> lots of security people um, in some pretty wild areas. And uh, there is incredible wildlife there. Really? Partly because... Afghanistan is a less developed country, and and warfare, you know, keeps the forces of uh, industry and and urbanization at bay in a way that um, that, that sometimes helps uh, wildlife. And and indeed, over our time there, they reestablished a ministry responsible for the environment, and then a national park service, and established some of the first national parks. And the guy who set that up was uh, a son of the former king who uh, died a few years ago, but who was back in Afghanistan when I was there, uh, who was a graduate of Queen's University in Canada. So there's a a Canadian uh, connection there that we should be proud of. What's the craziest thing that happened to you when you were in Afghanistan? Oh, so many crazy things. Um, I mean, one thing was... uh, walking north of Kabul into um, Panjshir, this valley where the Mujahideen had been holed up in their fight against the Soviets, and sit, sleeping in, a, in a, uh, a house with no, with just walls and no roof, under the stars, literally. Wow. Uh, with my wife and a few other people. Uh, and then waking up, starting to wake up in the morning to find that we were surrounded by people with guns. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and uh, hoping that they were friendly locals, uh, but not knowing for sure. Uh, I mean, that's just the kind of thing that happens uh, in Afghanistan all the time in a country that, 
you know, where security is never taken for granted. And, uh, and, um, people live by their wits. You must've seen a lot um, of, a lot of brave Canadian soldiers there, eh? Amazing. What our people did, I'd say soldier for soldier, they made the biggest contribution or, I mean, obviously nothing like the scale of the United States, but, uh, Pound for pound, uh, lab for lab, uh, an extraordinary effort. Uh, but Tony, I have to say, it may not matter, you know, unless we, in the international community, and Canada has the potential to be a leader here, show some vision and some commitment. Uh, Everything we fought for and did in Afghanistan is hanging in the balance right now as the Afghans try to get back on a democratic track after an election and uh, try to generate some good from this dialogue that's been happening with the Taliban. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about that because uh, President Trump is kind of signaling that he wants to deal with the Taliban. Well, Trump, you know, started out talking tough on the advice of some generals who've been in Afghanistan, I think, on Pakistan. And that was welcome, and that was needed. Since then, I have to say, his policy has been completely useless. Uh, Trying to talk to the Taliban behind the back of the Afghan government that we fought to uh, defend and make legitimate over more than a decade, it's been absolutely ridiculous. Uh, And it comes down to a a personal um, rivalry between uh, Trump's representatives, Al Michael Azad, who was the ambassador of the United States when I was there, and Af- a proud Afghan American, but someone who, who, who sometimes uh, misses the forest for the trees, a- and Ashraf Ghani, uh, the president of Afghanistan now, who's um, you know a, a college rival of Khalzad's from way back uh, when they were in American University in Beirut together. Uh, so it's it's sad to see uh, these personal collisions uh, putting Afghanistan's fate back into play, and the Pakistanis, uh, you know, not all Pakistanis, but Pakistan's intelligence and military agencies and military for sure, uh, profiting from this by continuing to back uh, the Taliban and back violence, uh, and they need to be called out on this. I want to bring you closer to home, too, if, if I might. And uh, you were a minister of, uh, of immigration, citizenship. Uh, what's, what's the state of things in Canada now? Do you think our immigration policy is the right immigration policy? Or are there things that you'd like to see changed? Or where, where do we stand? Well, I think it's, it's pretty solid. Uh, we have a merit-based system, a point system that has been modernized and reformed. You know, mostly over the 10 years we were in office. Uh, every economic immigration program was brought up to scratch for the needs of our new economy, and we made the system faster, eliminated backlogs, and let people apply online. Uh, and people who come want to come to Canada, whether they're from South Africa or Bhutan or uh, Finland, they have to... Uh, compete with everyone else who's in the pool. Uh, And so it's harder to get into Canada than ever. But the good news for Canadians is that we're getting more skilled people, people with language skills, people with degrees, people with 
often with assets of their own, who really want to come here uh, to contribute more than ever. So it's great we're doing that on a large scale, while the rest of the world, the immigration countries of the world, are hunkering down. Uh, I do have one major quibble with this government, which is their policy on the border. I mean, Trump's immigration policy has been disastrous. The U.S. has stepped back from principles it had embraced continuously since the Second World War for treatment of refugees, asylum seekers, immigrants generally. We should be picking up some of the slack uh, and accepting that the U.S. is not treating everyone fairly. That means some people are going to need to come to Canada, uh, but they shouldn't have to come in the back door and walk across the border, uh, which is snowy and cold this time of the year. We should be suspending the Safe Third Country Agreement, treating people decently uh, at our uh, official border crossing point, turning back people who don't have the right to come here, convicted criminals, people whose asylum cases have failed in the past, uh, but letting those who have the right to a hearing here uh, come across in a, in a dignified way. That's, that's our tradition, and that's what um, Canadians who know uh, how important our immigration principles are, uh, that's what we should be championing. Chris right. Alexander is our guest. This is And Another Thing. I'm Jody Jenkins along with Tony Clement. And we got a couple more minutes with you, Chris. I know you're a busy guy, and I just wanted to get your thoughts because actually yourself and Tony share many things in common, one of them being you both run for leadership. Of course, you and the most recent one in 2017. So I'm just curious, you know, without getting too much into it, what's your take on the current situation for the uh, conservative leadership race uh, as, we, as we see it right now? Well, I think it's good that it's a shorter race than last time. Uh, I think it's an opportunity to bring new people, new members, and, and new supporters back into the fold. Uh, I really do think 50 or 60% of Canadians don't feel they have a natural political home at the moment. Uh, they voted one way or the other, many of them uh, holding their noses last election. We should be that uh, natural option. Uh, natural alternative to a government that has really failed in so many ways. Uh, and I'm glad to see um, some new faces on the block. There are two candidates from my home region of Durham, Aaron O'Toole, whom everyone knows and, and who put in a strong, strong showing last year and no doubt will do again this year, but also Leslie Lewis, uh, who actually lives in my old riding up in the north of, uh, of Ajax and Greenwood and who's now been registered as an official candidate, lawyer, PhD from Harvard. She'll have some really interesting things to say. Uh, but I'm also very glad that Peter McKay is there. I mean, to be full disclosure, I, I have been encouraging him to run for if, if the opportunity presented itself for some time. I'm happy to see him doing that, and I think he's the right, the right choice for us this time around. I think 10 years of experience of the kind Tony had around the cabinet table over 10 years, but in Peter's case, uh, in the most important jobs in government, foreign affairs, defense, justice, among the most important jobs. Are you saying that right president of the Treasury the Board uh, was not the most important job, Chris? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's, up, it's up there. It's very close. Uh, no, it's Peter. Neither of you were minister of finance, though. So that's right. Yeah. Uh, 
Jim. Imagine if we had Jim Flaherty. Yeah, exactly. We we miss him uh, every day for sure. Hey, I got to ask this though. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you and I both also share having uh, had uh, the political toxicity uh, of uh, of politics uh, sort of uh, thrown at us. Uh, Twitter and uh, social media and, uh, you know, condemnation. Do, do, do you think that, uh, you know, some of it, er, you know, in my case deserved, but in your case, I would say slightly undeserved. Uh, but do you think that uh, that toxicity that is in politics now, is, is it getting better or worse or is it, get, is it is there any chance of it going away? I mean, it, it affects the ability of getting really good people involved in politics. So what's what's your take on all this? It's such an important question, Tony, and thanks for asking it. I mean, I think there's a real paradox here. You're right. The toxicity has never been worse. It is turning people away. At the same time, when you step aside from that and when you put it in perspective, you see it's not everyone. It's actually coming from certain specific sources, uh, and actually a relatively small uh, part of the audience, there's a lot of decency out there. There's a lot of goodwill. There's a lot of positive activism and, and good stuff happening at community level and at grassroots level. So we're not far from a better politics, a stronger democracy, but we have to deal with this with this issue. And I've looked at it pretty closely over the past five years. I, I really thought it got it's been coming for a long time, but it got bad in 14, 15, uh, and has been worsening in some ways ever since. I think two things are, are represent the biggest challenges. First, the indifference and the complicity of some of these social media platforms. Right. Uh, I think Facebook and its empire has been completely irresponsible, uh, facilitating turning a blind eye to hate speech, uh, extremism, propaganda, disinformation in all of its forms. Twitter is not much better. And right. then the second issue is that we've been under attack. You know, go back to the 20s and 30s when we last had extremism in, in raw and ultimately disastrous forms around the world, uh, fascism, communism, and so forth. That was part of a propaganda effort uh, delivered by radio in those days. Yeah, there was a conscious went, effort to disrupt democracy. Yeah, yeah, and went unopposed for too long at that time. Today we're being attacked in new ways, usually by social media, by the dictators of the world. You know, Putin and company have mastered these dark arts, but lots of others are doing it. Iran, North Iran Korea. Iran and Pakistan yeah. to China and North Korea. And we're still, you know, trying to get a grip on how bad it is when we should be uh, opposing it, uh, rooting it out, and reestablishing space for, uh, for a democratic debate, which requires confidence and uh, safety for those that are taking place. Ta- taking does, that, does that require government regulation? Is that the, is that the solution then? Well, it requires government action. I don't like the idea of, of, of you know, approving media outlets and so forth. But when something uh, comes into Twitter or onto Facebook or into public debate here, like like Wexit, you know, this whole idea of Western, I saw that spike up online. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of that was backed by Russian bots, uh, by the same extremists that are driving terrible uh, perspectives into British, American, and other democratic debates. Uh, there, on those issues, there's a role. Just as uh, uh, you know, we have CSIS and other government agencies that are charged with preventing subversion of our institutions. So I think uh, there's room for regulation and self-regulation by responsible media companies to make sure that uh, dictators aren't having the way with our open society, having their way with our open society. Chris Alexander has been our guest. Chris, we're going to have to wrap up. We do appreciate a lot of the points you brought up, some great ideas there. Yeah, really interesting. You're you're definitely going to have to come back because you you deserve more than one show. Our, our, he's our international correspondent. Yeah, yeah. You could be. Can you go back to? Can we get you back to Afghanistan? And maybe so you we, can do some live, even live hits. About Brexit, you guys. There's so much. Oh, there's, <laughs> oh yeah. There's so much. There is so much. There's a lot. Chris, thanks so much for doing this. We wish you all the best. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks to both of you. All the best. Till next time. Thanks again to Chris Alexander for doing that. Obviously, a great connection between yourself. We and served Chris. in cabinet together uh, for when uh, after he was elected in 2011. That's right. And he was just one term? One term, 2011 to 2015. So uh, meteoric rise and then the other side of politics, uh, the wins and the losses. And if you were guessing, if you were a betting man, uh, will he ever run again? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, he's building up uh, a consulting practice right now, uh, international consulting. So I think you can get a little bit of the excitement that you get in politics through doing things like that. Uh, and it's tough to get back into politics once you're out. Not very few people do it successfully. Jean Chrétien is a good, good example of somebody who did it uh, successfully, but most people don't. Mm, interesting. But we do wish him all the best, and we're definitely going to get him back on yeah. as our international correspondent. Yes, live from live, live from Afghanistan. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay, so don't forget to subscribe uh, everywhere. iHeartRadio, um, where else? Google Play, Google Play, Spotify. I know Travis, our producer extraordinaire, has been working hard to get us on all these places, Apple iTunes. So. Sure. No, we're, we're available. And tell your friends and uh, anybody who we still have a few spots left over for people who want to sponsor programs. Oh, yeah, too. just a few. Just a few because the, <laughs> they are lining up at the door. If you want to get in on the ground floor, you just send us a note and we will make it happen. But, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your week, Tony. A new episode will drop in seven days. Exactly that. Thank you. <laughs>